Hey there! Is today your first time here? Or maybe your first time in a while? If so, maybe you're wondering exactly who we are and what this church is all about. Well, we'd like you to know that we're a group of ordinary people who are on an amazing journey together, following Christ. Our guide is the Bible because it's the divinely inspired Word of God and it will never take us in the wrong direction. Along the way, we hope you'll see that we are welcoming and spiritually passionate and that getting to know you is a big deal to us. We know that the road is rough sometimes, but we'll work really hard to bring you practical and relevant messages to equip and encourage you through life's ups and downs. We want you to know that we care about this community, and we believe that it's our job to make it a better place. So, no matter who you are or where you've been, we're glad you're here with us today. And we hope that you'll join us on our journey, following Christ and living out His plan for us. Heather or Pastor Dan. 
and uh, the Charlie's Paradise. That was started by the Phil Beck family, his father that was living in Detroit, moved all the way down here from Detroit. It was just unbelievable uh, when they moved down here. I says, Charlie, why, why did you move down here? He goes, to help my son in his, his worship and practice of being a minister here. I'm like, wow. It's, so his father really thought a lot of this place. He spent a lot of time here helping out, doing repairs, and that garden was his idea, I believe. He actually found his father passed away out of here in the garden. Yes, he did. Charlie actually passed away out working on the garden. Bless his heart. Uh, can we please all stand? I'm going to be uh, reading from Mark 5. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. He was already in the boat, so they started out, leaving the crowds behind, although there were other boats following. But soon a fierce storm arose. High waves began to break into the boat until it was nearly full of water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat, and his head was on a cushion. Frantically, they woke him up, shouting, Teacher, teacher, don't you even care that we are going to drown? When he woke up, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the water, Quiet down. Suddenly the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. And he asked them, Why are you so afraid? Do you not, do you still not have faith in me? And they were filled with awe. And they said among themselves, Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? We'll bow our heads in prayer, please. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for bringing us here to this church. Let us surrender our lives to you, Lord, in worship and praise. As we gather, we read, we remember those that are not with us today. For those who are sick, we ask for healing. And for those away from us, we ask for your blessing upon the Lord. We invite your Holy Spirit to come dwell in each of our hearts. And equip us and challenge us. You comfort and you teach us. Inspire us as we learn more about your majestic ways. Father, as we as we meet now, may we behold your beauty and encounter your grace. We ask for all these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. 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 We can all do the wave. Still not shaking hands, so welcome.
Open up the heavens, we want to see you open up. 
be seated. We really got to get one with wheels. <laughs> Kids can be dismissed. How's everybody this morning? Great. Good. It's beautiful outside, isn't it? Amen. Yes, it was beautiful last night. We got to sit around and hang out with some. Have a nice little fire. It was really nice, relaxing. Amen. For those, uh, we're going back into Romans today. We've been teaching Romans. Uh, last week we talked about Pentecost. Took a little break there, but uh, before I get started, there is something I want to talk about real quick. Um, I don't usually get very political in this whole thing. I don't. But there's a lot of things going on in our world today right now. Some serious things going on that I think need address. Uh, a lot of people ask me questions about it. And I pondered all week whether I was going to address it. Because some people have asked me, but I decided I will. And I'm sure everybody knows what I'm talking about right now, what's going on with the protests and the riots. And the world is in a lot of division, anger. Um, a lot of people are hurting. A lot of people are confused. They don't, they don't know what's right from wrong right now. Um, I got asked a question one time that recently. They said, uh, what about the Black Lives Matter? They said, what about that? And I said, well, they certainly do. I mean, they do. They certainly do. And it, I just want to say it's not racist to say all lives matter either. It is not. And that's something that's out there. Because, as a matter of fact, because they do. All lives matter. Um, the Black Lives Matter as a principle, as a theory, is absolutely correct. It is. Um, but as an organization that's out there, it is corrupt. Um, it's founded, believe it or not, by an old white guy, uh, by the name of George Soros, who is basically a nationalist, and he wants to divide the United States, and that's what his plan is. And he pays people to riot. We are not talking about the peaceful riots. I saw some really beautiful peaceful riots out there. Not riots, I mean peaceful protests. And, uh, they were, they were peaceful, they were beautiful, and I saw a lot of prayer going on, and I saw so many beautiful things, and then, but the news wants us to focus on that, that small portion where people are doing destructive things and creating evil, and I said, you can't, you know, you can't pay violence with violence, because it equals violence. But, but so, I do believe Black Lives Matter, absolutely yes, I do believe that, but I also believe that any form of racism in any shape, kind, no matter what it looks like, is pure evil. Yes. It's pure evil. Amen. And it's anti-God. That's it's right. Absolutely. Yes. Um, but, you know, I always think, I mean, Hispanic lives matter. You know, white lives matter. The unborn child matters. Amen. Um, all of these lives matters. And I'm not going to also, I'm not going to turn my back on law enforcement because, yes, blue lives matter. And I stand with our law enforcement. Amen. Yes. Amen. Just because I always say this, just because of the few bad apples in a group doesn't mean the whole group is bad. There are, some, there are a lot of false preachers out there, but that doesn't negate or cancel the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, you know, so that's why I wanted to talk about that. I mean, not a lot. I didn't really want to get into it. But, I, you know, we cannot continue to burn and destroy cities and claim this is a protest because it's just pure evil. Um, the, last, I mean, the last 96 hours, I'm not going to go through everything, but in the last 96 hours, there's been a lot of things that have happened. Not with the peaceful protesters who are protesting for Mr. Floyd. But, you know, I pray for his family daily. But I also, every day, I pray for all lives daily. And that's, that's the, I'm not really going to get into much deeper than that about it. I just wanted everybody to know that, as a point, as a theory, Black Lives Matter, absolutely they matter. 
And right now we're focused on that because of what's going on. And but we need to focus on it peacefully and in God's way and not be evil and anti-God. That's all Amen. I want to say. Amen. Amen. Yes. The living water is the Holy Spirit. We need to pray that he goes everywhere in the world, heals the broken heart. Absolutely. And we're commanded in Scripture. You know, um, it says in Scripture, when they were talking, and we talked about this last night, when Christ was talking to the Pharisees, and you know, they said, well, you know, what is the greatest commandment? He said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, body, and soul. And then he said, but also, what was the next thing he said? Love your neighbor as yourself. So as we look at out there today, and you know, I know there's a lot of us who have different opinions and different views, and maybe some of us are angry, maybe some of us are confused. Remember what Christ said. Love your neighbor as yourself. And right now, there's Amen. a lot of confusion. People are confused. And they're hurting. And I've always said this, too. If you don't think the nation right now needs the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're crazy. We need to be out there. We need to be, we need to be standing as a church, as the body of Christ, and not as some theological dictionary to bash our views into somebody. It's right now, the world Amen. just needs Jesus. Come on, Amen. Pastor. What they Amen. need is they don't need guacamole covered, whatever you got. <laughs> they need Jesus. Amen. And that's what I'm going to say. That's all we're going to talk about right now. That's guacamole is not my <laughs> I always say, you know, you, I'll eat anything. I love burritos. We put guacamole on it. Done. But before that, we're going to get, we're going to be back in Romans part six. With the exception of one person, every human to have ever walked the face of this earth has sinned. The Apostle Paul says, all of us have sinned and all of us fall so far short of God's righteousness. Because we're in absolute rebellion to God as sinners, we have earned our wages, our spiritual paycheck. And on it is written the amount of zero dollars with big bold letters in the memo, D-E-A-T-H, death. And this is language that is peppered throughout all of scripture. As sinners, we are dead. We reside in the domain of darkness, spiritually dead and numb and completely cut off from God. And what we need is life. And that life is Jesus. God demonstrated his love to us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus took our sin, he took our past, our baggage, our filth, all of it upon himself and paid the penalty of death that belonged to us in order that through Jesus we would no longer be bound to this death sentence but receive in its place life. We didn't just need an upgrade. We didn't just need a new coat of paint or a bit of remodeling. We needed a new heart, a new mind, a new identity, a new creation, a new life in Christ. If you've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and if you believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead by the power of God, you are saved. God has pierced the side of Jesus with your death penalty and has imparted to you the blessing of spiritual life, which he then guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus. So what's next? Uh, maybe you're asking, I've done that. Now what do I do? You celebrate by getting baptized. See, baptism doesn't celebrate bad people who are now good people. And it doesn't celebrate good people who are now great people. When we follow the command to be baptized, we celebrate dead people who are now alive. 
You celebrate this new life by demonstrating outwardly the transformation that has taken place inwardly. Paul, in his letter to the Christians throughout Rome, writes this, Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we've been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ, so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. Romans 6, 3-8. So if you're asking, what's next? That's your answer. Get baptized as soon as you have believed or as soon as you realize its importance. If you haven't been baptized since, placing your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then we invite you to follow in obedience to Christ by participating in our next baptism. So that's what Paul is dealing with in chapter 6. Um, 
When, you've been, when we begin reading this, you'll notice it seems like you're catching Paul right in the middle of a conversation when this starts out. And we, and we absolutely are, because remember the last chapter, he, he kind of was going one way, and Paul has a habit of going one way and stopping and completely turning and going another way. He's got so much he wants to say that he'll stop and just go to a whole different topic. I know a few people like that. Um, but he's right in the middle of a thought here, which he began back in chapter 5. And he made an important statement in chapter 5. That's now going to generate and be kind of the springboard into chapter 6. So that we're all on the same page, because I know nobody remembers. Um, Romans 5, verse 20 from last week, he said these words. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That is the, that is the springboard. So Paul's basically saying, where sin, when sin was on the move, and actually increasing, sound familiar? And actually increasing in the world or in the culture, there is a corresponding action going on of God's work at the same time. That doesn't just meet sin, it doesn't just meet it, but it goes beyond that sin. And it abounds farther than the sin that's going on in the world. It's awesome. It's just awesome. So when sin abounds, grace abounds what? In equal value? Absolutely not. It abounds all more. And that's a good thought to keep in our mind as we're going through this because that's the statement he made. And that's the statement he's going to use to springboard right here in chapter 6. Um, what he's going to talk to you and I about, I want you to know that going into this chapter, he's going to talk about our relationship to sin. That's what he's going to talk about. Our relationship to sin. Um, as a Christian, what is your relationship to sin right now? Do you ever thought about that question? What's your relationship to sin right now? We, we know what our relationship was before we met Jesus, right? We absolutely know what that relationship was at that time. Paul wrote about that. If you want to read about that, go to the book of Ephesians. The whole book's about that. Um, but I'm going to pop one on the screen here. Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 2. You want to pull that up on the slide for me, Mike? This is before. And he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That pretty much says it all. This says that, this says this is what you and I's relationship with sin was before, before we came to Christ. Um, we were dead in our trespasses. We were literally, literally enslaved to the passions of our own flesh. And we did not have the ability to say no. We didn't. That was our previous relationship with sin. And then we came to Christ and put our faith in his work on the cross and his finished work. And it changed a whole lot of things in our lives. It did. It changed a whole lot of things. But here's what it also changed. And this is what Paul's going to talk about. It changed our relationship to sin. It changed it. It altered it. So I'm going to read verses, chapter 6, verse 1 through 14. And it says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that the majority of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus 
were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. That's an important verse. We're going to look at that one a little bit. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we die with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Amen. We read that from Paul, and typically with Paul, we catch a few of the words, but it's like it's like. It's Anytime we read Paul's writing, that's what we get. And then we grab a few little pieces out of it, like the last verse. But we're going to go through this. See, what I love is in verse 1, he starts off right with a question. That I think that Paul probably figured that somebody that he was writing to probably had that, this question in their mind. And we probably do too. But he opens it up with a question. He said, what shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? And I think somebody had that question. And we probably have that question. What he's saying is, is so should we, we should just sin, right? We should just give in to it and sin. That's what he's asking. Why so God's grace can abound? Let's give him something to do. It's kind of what he's asking, right? God's up there, he must be bored, you know. Hey, the more I sin, the more his grace abounds. So it must be all right. I just, I just relax and do that. Have, have you ever talked to people to think, that think this? That it's God's job to forgive sins. I'm going to say that again. God forgives sins. But have you ever met somebody who thinks it's like his job to forgive sins? That's what he does. It's his job. And I'll explain what I mean by that. It is, it, they think it's their job to give him something to forgive. <laughs> they do. It, it, it sounds crazy. It sounds like some kind of crazy idea, but it's out there. I've seen it. You know, people literally in their mind believe, no, it's my job to give him something to do, so if I sin, he forgives me. It's his job. I got to do something to keep him busy. <laughs> I mean, I've seen I've seen people that were confronted with something in their life that's unbiblical. And you all heard this. They say, "Well, God is just going to have to forgive me, right?" That's what He does. He forgives me. It's kind of a license, right? It's a license to sin. So that's why Paul opens up with this. That's bad theology. That's why Paul opens up with that question. And he asks them, he says, you know, and I, who knows if the people there were thinking that. But I can honestly, I can picture it in my mind, because I know people today, there was probably people here writing to that had that exact question in their mind. That, well, if, since grace abounds more, I, mean, I can just sin, and God's going to forgive me because it abounds more than sin. So, so does that mean we're just supposed to sin? 
I mean, so that, you know, so grace can abound? <clears throat> Let's give this question a little more modern twist right now, all right? So you're saying, the more people sin, the more God's grace abounds. That's what Paul's saying, right? Okay, so why don't we just send up a storm so God can be gracious? Why don't we? You know, if all I have to do to be saved is believe, and maybe that means I can just live the way I want, right? I believe. I believe on Christ. I believe what he did. But that's all it takes to be saved. Just believe on him, right? I can live however I want. Because whatever I do, it's, it's going to abound. His grace is going to abound. I can live whatever I want. I can live my life however I look forward to it because God will forgive me. Because what's the Bible say? The Bible says, just believe and you'll be saved. Hmm. That's a great deal, ain't it? That's a great deal. I just believe and I'm saved and I can live my life however I want. Who wouldn't want that deal? This is what Paul's talking about. So Paul's going to explain to us how the relationship between you and sin has changed since you believed in Christ. And this is the important thing. In fact, he's going to show here how believers now cannot live a life of sin anymore. He's not talking about this perfection theology, which is never going to happen, but he's talking about the way we live according to that relationship of sin. It is so good. This is why in verse 2, he goes right to another question. He says this in verse 2. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Question in your mind: How? How am I dead to sin? 
But see, Paul says it, it's important to understand this. When he says it, he says it, and it's a matter of fact. Doesn't need proof, doesn't need a background story, it doesn't need a history lesson on why I know this. It's factual. And it's important to understand it because Paul is going to explain to them so this. So when did he die to sin? He goes on to explain. Now look at verse 3. See, in verse 3, he says this. Or do you not know that? When he starts off with, or do you not know? This is like, hey, pay attention. You need to focus on this. Because do you not know this? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We've read that before, right? And this is very typical of Paul. And, and he says, he's, he wants you to know. He wants you to know, know, is what he wants. That's why he's saying this about our salvation. So he says to you, do you know? Do you know? Do you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Do we understand that? Do we really understand the roots of that statement? Do we really think about that statement sometimes? Or do we say that statement because it's, it's a beautiful statement and you know, it's a coffee cup scripture and we love to talk about it. But do you know that statement is what Paul's saying. Do you know? Here's the question. And, you know, I remember this. I remember when I actually learned what this is. The do you know this. When I actually learned. It wasn't instantaneous. And it, believe me, when, it wasn't when I came to Christ. It was probably two, three, maybe four years later when I actually got this. And when I did, it changed a lot of things. When we come to Christ, we join him in his death. And we're going to talk about what that is. See, this is, think about it. We join him in his death. That's mind-blowing if you think about it. It's mind-blowing. It's a, the implications of that statement are huge. Huge. They're just, I mean, it should literally cause your head to spin when you get a hold of this. Instead of just saying the words, really focus down on this. It'll blow your mind. So Paul asks, do you know? There was a point in my life where I had to say, I didn't know. I didn't. I didn't know. He says here that you were baptized into Christ Jesus. You were baptized into his death. I thought, you know, I thought when I came to Jesus, I was just forgiven of my sin. And I was. But that's what we think, right? I came to Christ and, you know, he forgave me of my sins. That's what everybody says. You don't see me walking around going, I came to Christ and I was baptized into his death. You don't hear other people talk about that, do you? And like I said, I was. I was forgiven. I mean, I was forgiven of my sins. And I, and I thank the Lord every single day that he forgave me of my past sins. And, and my future ones. Who, you know, I tell you guys all the time, it's funny, if somebody tells you that I'm any closer to God than you are, they're crazy because I probably sin more than you do. But I learned that I have to be baptized into this death. And we're going to go, let's look at what he says in verse 4 before I keep going on this. I want to look at it again. And he goes from that, and he starts on 4. Sorry, I can't see I'm going to read 3 and 4. Or do you not know that many of us, as we're baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? And he says, therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. 
that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we are also, we should walk in the newness of life. We were buried with him in baptism. Now before we can understand what Paul's saying here, we have to have a good definition for the word baptized. How many here know the definition of baptized or being baptized? What that word actually means? Come on, somebody here knows. Don't leave me hanging. That's exactly what it means. It means to be immersed. The word baptized, being baptized means immerse. So keep that thought in your mind. Immerse. Baptized means immerse. And when I asked this question, I'm glad you brought that up. See, people typically, here's the question I want to start asking them. Have you been baptized into Christ? Have you been? Yes. You know what the first thing that pops in your mind when I say that? Water baptism, right? Mm -hmm. It's the first thing that pops in your mind. And people think I'm referring to being baptized in water when I ask that question. But that's not what I'm asking. And that's not what Paul was asking when he said this. It's not what he's referring to here. The meaning of water baptism is the reason we think that is we have taken water baptism over the years and we've exalted the act over the meaning. Think about it. We've exalted the act of baptism over the meaning of baptism. You know, it's cool, it's, it's the end thing to be baptized, but the act becomes more important to us than what it actually means. The meaning of water baptism is greater than the act of it. The meaning is so much greater. We'll, we'll talk about that, but the word baptism, like we said, simply means to be immersed. And to be baptized means to be immersed. And the Bible talks about, what the next one several baptisms. Um, it talks about water, baptism, it's the one that we, you know, we convert. It talks about the baptism of the Spirit, which is the conversion, when the Holy Spirit, when you're given the Holy Spirit a conversion. But it also talks about being baptized into suffering, and I don't see a lot of people praying for that one. No. <laughs> you know. So think about it. It talks about all of these. And there is a such thing, think about it, as being immersed into suffering. Mm -hmm. if, if you don't, if you haven't been, you haven't lived on this earth very long as a Christian to not understand being immersed in suffering. Because mm -hmm. all of us have been in something. So, you know, it, the word baptism talks about a few things. But when Paul is talking here about baptism, right here in the scripture, he is talking about a spiritual reality that you and I portray when we are baptized in water. See, under, please understand this, loved ones. Water baptism, when I'm talking about the act, is a portrayal of a greater reality. Amen. That we know that water baptism doesn't save people, correct? Right. right. It's the reality that saves you, not the act of baptism. It's the reality. Being immersed into Christ, we immerse people in water to portray the fact that they have been immersed into Christ. And the whole baptism story, I mean, it's, it's like a beautiful, dramatic story. You know, water baptism is beautiful. It's a beautiful story. And that we are acting out or portraying something when we do this. But the act of water baptism is not what saves you. We all know that. It's, 
what you're portraying, the reality, the spiritual reality of being immersed into Christ. This is what Paul's talking about. That's what saves you. I mean, because your sins are forgiven and you accepted what Jesus Christ did on the cross and you understand that water baptism is a portrayal of that spiritual reality. And the reason I'm focusing on this is because we have to understand this before we go any farther in chapter 6. See, Paul's telling us that when we are immersed into Christ, we are joined with him. In various certain things, we're joined with him right here. He says, and one of the things that we're joined when we're joined with Christ when we're immersed in Christ is we are joined with him in his death. Why would Paul say that? There's something significant about that. We were joined with him in his death. And that seems like kind of a crazy sort of thing when I think about it. When, like I said, when I got baptized, I, I didn't understand all this stuff. I didn't. I was a young Christian and just doing you know, what I was supposed to do. I knew, I knew, you know, Christ saved me, and I knew the next thing I had to do would be baptized. I didn't understand any of this. I didn't understand it was I was telling a story of a true reality. I didn't understand any of that. I just knew that I was saved and I should be baptized to show that I'm saved. And it took quite a few years for me to understand it, that the story of Jesus' birth, death, burial, and resurrection, and how you were identified with each one of those, and joining with him in certain things. See, we take people out to the water, all right, and they stand there, and as they're standing there, what they're portraying right now, in the beginning, is a life without Christ. They're standing in the water, just waiting. That's portraying the life without Christ. Then they come into the water, and now they're ready to be born again. As they come into the water, and portraying they're now ready to be born again. Then, we take them to the water, and we, we, when we baptize, we lay them back into the water, right? I don't throw them down, right? We lay them back into the water. <laughs> And that portrays, the laying back into the water portrays they have joined with Christ in his death. Okay? And then when they're in the water, however short amount of time, depends on how long you want to hold them there, um, <laughs> this portrays that they are now joined with Christ in his burial. And then, you know, we bring them up out of the water, and this signifies, portrays, the spiritual reality or the fact that you have been raised with Christ. See, there's so much meaning to this. But the act did not save anyone. You can get any person you want, I promise you, go out the street, grab somebody and dump them in, it ain't gonna save them. You know, if that was the case, if that was the case, I'd be the crazy preacher running around grabbing everybody and forcing them <laughs> and dunking them in water and be like, you'll thank me later. <laughs> Baptism doesn't save anybody. I mean, if that is really, if that's all it took, is that not what we would do? Yes. You brought it to your friend and be like, hey, have you been in the water? Don't <laughs> dump it. <laughs> that's what we would do if it saved people. But it's not, it's a coming to Christ. It's an opening up of your heart completely to what Christ did for you. That's what that's it's immersed into Jesus. I love that. It's being immersed into Jesus. Now, the question is, why is Paul bringing all of this up? Because that resurrection part of it, that part where being joined with Christ, is not just for some great, wonderful day later down the road. 
body will be raised and resurrected. He's talking about a resurrection that you have today. A resurrection that you can enjoy today. That you can take hold of today on June 7th. He has a resurrection in mind in this scripture that you have right now. And this, look at verse 4 one more time. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. He's talking about the new relationship you have to sin. Remember what we saw in Ephesians, that what was your relationship to sin prior to Christ? You were dead in that sin, right? You were dead in it. And you have a new relationship now that allows you to walk in a new way. According to the plan of God, according to the purpose of God, and according to the heart of God. Now, and you no longer according to your flesh. Isn't that great? No longer according to your flesh. This is the beauty of what happened to you and I. This is the beauty of this what happened to you and I. The death that you and I have entered into when we were baptized into Christ. It's, it's a beautiful story. Now, because, think about it, we had to be dead to what once controlled us. We had to be dead. That's the old nature we're talking about. The old sinful person had to die. And we don't think about this because death and only death can set you free from the old way of the flesh. And we're going to expand on that. So, look at the end of verse 4. What's the result of this? So that we may walk in the newness of life, right? So understand, for us to walk new, the old man had to die. Amen. He had to. <clears throat> and look at verse 5. He says, For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Look, let me ask this. What was his resurrection like? What was Christ's resurrection like? It was one of being victorious over the penalty of sin, he conquered sin by his death, burial, and resurrection. By joining in his death, burial, and resurrection, we are now victorious. We emerge victorious over sin. Verse 6, he keeps going. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. He focuses on this part that the old person had to die. And it's interesting language. And Paul is going to develop this further and further as we go through Romans. But he likens our previous relationship to sin to one of slavery. And we were slaves. We were. We, we, we were a slave without choice. Think about a slave. They didn't live their own life, right? They lived how their master chose for them. And, uh, and we were in slavery to our sinful nature. We had no choice in the matter. None. Zero. We simply obeyed our master. And at that time, it was our flesh. That's what, that's what Paul's talking about. But now, joining with Christ in his death, that relationship with the, with the master-slave relationship has been broken. Why? Because the slave is dead. Think about it. 
You know when people were slaves back then, there was one sure way they could be free from being a slave. They had to die. So Paul's talking. Remember, Paul's writing to Rome. Rome was the king of the slaves and, 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 and the fighting in the chambers and doing whatever their master told them to do. And Paul was saying, for, your, for you to live this new relationship in sin, the slave must die. Because that's when you'll be free. And that's when he builds on. How many of you watch classic movies here? Okay. I, am a, I love classic movies. I love the black and white ones. You know, I, I'm a little older than I think I am. But uh, <laughs> there was a really good movie back in the 1960s called Spartacus. How many know that movie? I figured that. Not the new HBO version. All right, that's terrible. But the 1960s, Spartacus. And it was a... It was a movie about the Romans and uh, the Roman time slaves. And uh, Kirk Douglas played Spartacus. Yeah. I see somebody knew that. <laughs> but he has a line in the movie that I think was, uh, was very, very cool, but very to the point and very important. He said this. He says, death is the only freedom a slave knows. That's why we're not afraid of it. That's an interesting line, but it's very true. It's very true. And to what we are looking at and here in this passage, death is the only freedom that a slave can know. Think about it. That's what Paul's saying. And just as death releases a slave from servitude, so also now with us joining in Christ, being immersed in Christ's death, we're set free from that previous relationship because the slave had to die. Amen. That's what we're talking about. That, that, that we had to die from that one thing that was just controlling our lives, that master who was over top of us. So what Paul's doing. Let's go to verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. You guys do understand that Jesus cannot die again. That's right. what it's saying. Amen. Why can't he die again? Anybody know? Because death has been defeated. He can't die again. And that's what Paul's saying here. You with me, you understand, Jesus can't die again because he defeated death. And keep that thought in your mind. And in the same way you and I, when we enter into that death, we enter into that victory over sin, and we stand in the ability to release the power of sin to control our lives. Slave can't die twice. Can't die twice. What Paul's saying. Keep, keep that in mind. See, the next verse coming up is important. And I want you to, the next verse, I want you guys to reach over beside you and underline your neighbor's Bible. Underline verse 11. So we're going to read it. It says this. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. In other words, what Paul is saying is exercise your faith and believe that you have entered into the death of Christ. And sin no longer has control over a dead slave. 
Let that come. Let that just sink in for a minute. Let it sink in. Sin has no control over a dead slave. This is one of the reasons that Paul was criticized a lot of times for his gospel. Because people would say to him, Paul, you're, you're a crazy man. You're crazy. You're telling people that the path to holy living comes without rules? Think about it. The Pharisees, they're like, Paul, oh, this can't be real because you're telling me that for me to live holy, I don't have to, there, there can be no rules? Paul's like, yeah, that's what I'm telling you. He's going to expand on that. But he's like, yeah, comes without rules. This, but it does sound ridiculous, right? Think about today. If I said society would run better if it had no rules. That's crazy, right? That's a crazy thought. But Paul, the, the path to holy living comes by faith, is what Paul's saying here. Okay? Just believing that you have been set free from the tyranny and control of that sinful nature. Paul says, yes, that is exactly what I'm saying. That is exactly what I'm saying. And should that surprise you and I? Should it? How are you saved? What's the first thing we have to do to be saved? By faith, right? And then by grace through faith, right? Isn't that how we're all saved? So why would it shock us that Paul would say this? Uh, are you working for your salvation? Because I hope not. Okay, I hope you're not. Um, if, if you're working for salvation, maybe we need to go back a few chapters in Romans and read that. Because Paul definitely made it clear that that's not going to happen. I hope you're saved by grace through faith. It's amazing how many people understand that? But yet, when they look at the sin in their lives, they have a whole sort of different way of approaching it. They do. They have, I understand that by faith, I was in grace with faith, I was saved in Christ. But then when they look at the sin in their life, they don't use that statement. They have a whole other way of looking at it. Mm -hmm. They will say, oh, you know, I'm saved by grace, I know that, but man, when it comes to sin, not in that vernacular, but they will say that. They will, you know, I'm really working hard on this sin in my life. I get up every day and I'm working hard on that sin. We hear it all the time. It's, it's common. You know what Paul would say to people then? He would say to you and I the same thing. He would say that when you came to Christ and you literally joined in his death and by putting your faith in that reality, Putting your faith in that reality, you'll begin to see that reality manifested in your life. That's what Paul would say. And he would say it would be on an ever-increasing basis. That's what Paul would say. If you will, through faith, believe that you have been set free, here's the problem. Here's, here's the problem. We don't believe that we've been set free from the power of sin. Oh, come on. That's the problem. We don't believe it. I mean, if you talk to somebody long enough about what's going on in their life or the sin that they struggle with, you're going to hear that come out of their mouth eventually. In some way, shape, or form, they're going to say something like, this thing's got me by the jugular. 
you're going to hear it. Some shape or form. And I can't move away from it. I can't get free from it. Well, if they say they can't get free from it, that means they don't believe they're free from it. That's the problem, is that we don't believe it. What they're saying to you when they say these kind of things, or when we say these things, what you're saying is, I'm not free. So you're going against what Scripture tells you. You're telling yourself, I am not free. But I'll say this, this new relationship for the believer in sin, for the death of Jesus Christ, we are made, and, and, you know, and we're now made with God, immersed in Him, and dead to the slave master. Paul says, now believe it. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to believe it. And Paul's telling you and I, this is a reality. Believe it. If we believe it, it will manifest in our life over and increase more and increase more. Because every time we look at it, we'll be like, I'm free from that. Not that I struggle with that. And you want to know why people have this sin, re repent, sin, repent, sin, repent, sin, repent. Because they don't believe that they're free. And the enemy loves that. He, he loves that. Paul says believe, reckon yourselves dead to sin, and believe that you're dead to it. It's not, it's not wishful thinking, people. It's not a wishful thought. It's not the, it's not the kind of knowing you're like Disney, like, I believe, I believe. It's not what he's talking about. You know, when you wish upon a star. <laughs> you know, not the Disney sort of I believe, or I hope, or I hope. That's not what he's talking about. That's Disney mentality. I want to talk about That's a Disney mentality. And, and that's what's captivated our hearts over the years. <coughs> That Disney mentality. We read scripture and you're like, oh, oh, I believe, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> and what Paul says to you right now, what Paul says to you right now is believe as a fact, not as a wish. This wishful thinking is not the same thing. It is not. Believe that it is done. Believe that he did it. And believe that you were set free from it. That's what Paul's telling us. This is the real, true, in place, ready to put action in your life. If you'll exercise faith. Paul says, consider, reckon yourself dead to those old ways. Why don't we believe it? Here's what I want to talk about, because we don't believe it, but... Well, because I think we don't believe it sometimes because sin is constantly knocking at our door. Is it not? It is. Sin is constantly knocking at our door, and we hear it every day. We do. You know, I, I don't get one day's rest from sin knocking at my door. I promise you, I don't get a vacation from it. And not one day. It's always there. No matter where I turn. matter of fact, every hour. I don't, get, I don't get a vacation. It's always there. It's always knocking, looking at me. And it's constantly reminding me that it's got a presence in my life. The enemy just loves to join that little dance party. He does. He loves to jump in on that. And he'll remind you, he will love to remind you that you're just as much under sin, control of the sin as you were before. He'll do it all the time. He's like, don't go believe in that hogwash in the Bible. Don't go believe in that stuff. It's got just as much control over you as it did the day that you said it didn't. 
And we listen to that. And it pounds in our ear. And we start to lose that belief that we're free from that sin nature. And the enemy, he loves to convey that to you and I. He does. It's, like his, it's his favorite thing to do. Because if he can get us to not believe we're free from sin, then he knows, guess what? We're going to sin. And then the worst part is, that sin, we're going to use what we did to even condemn ourselves more. Why did I do this? And the enemy, that's his favorite thing. He will tell us in our ear and we'll gulp it down with line and sinker. We will. We'll swallow that bait every single time. Because we don't believe it. We need to start changing our way of thinking. That's what Paul's going to talk about. Believe that we are really set free. Here's how Paul describes the walking out of that faith. Look at verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. He's saying, you have been set free from the slavery, so walk it out. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you've been set free, so how about walk it out? Not as a question, but as a statement of fact. No, no. I'm saying here, I'm not, now I want you guys to know this, I'm not saying here, that a Christian cannot fall back into that slavery. I'm not saying that. Because I'm really not saying that. Because the interesting thing about being set free, and Jesus has set you and I free from the control of sinful nature. But the interesting thing about being set free, do you understand what freedom really means? Do you? Do you understand that to be free, you have to also be free to choose evil. Because if I'm not free to choose evil, I'm not free. Think about it. So, before you knew Christ, you had no choice in the matter. You didn't have anything else to choose. Now, you have a choice in the matter. And people sometimes, you know, well, if God set me free, why do I keep sinning? If I'm free, why do I keep sinning? You know, the Bible says I'm free, but I keep sinning. Because you choose to. There's no other explanation for it. There's no other way around it. The truth of the matter is, and I do it too, the reason we sin is because we chose to. Amen. Because God gave us another option. And that's a hard statement to swallow. That was a hard statement for me to swallow. To think about that I, when I sin, why do I sin? It's because I chose to sin. It was hard. In the light of Scripture, from the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verse 1. Put that up there for me, Mike. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. What Paul is saying in this scripture is it is possible to go back and take on that position of slavery. It is possible. But you've been set free. You are now free to say, Jesus, I will follow you. Or you are also free to say, don't sin, I'm going to follow you. We're free. If you're not free to say that, then you're not free. It's amazing thought. And the Bible says, let's say, whom the Son sets free... Is free indeed. 
Free. That means free completely. That means, and again, you guys, you understand, freedom means I can choose the bad stuff too. Or, but I can also choose God. So that's what Paul is talking about here. That's why Paul writes to the Galatians and says, it's for freedom that God has set you free. It's not for slavery. He didn't set us free for slavery, but because we are free, we can choose it again. Absolutely we can. So Paul really here, what he's doing is he really, he's appealing. He's like appealing to them. He's like, guys, guys, for freedom, Christ set you free. Stand firm. Do not take that, that yoke back on yourself. I want to, Paul ends this section, and we're not going to go any farther in chapter 6 today. We'll continue on part 2. But I want to read where he ends in verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. And the nice thing is he ends right here with another springboard that's going to push him right into the rest of the chapter. But what Paul's saying is you are not under the law, but under grace. So what's he really talking about? Anything else? You can't talk about righteous living without talking about the law, right? But Paul said, wait, no, we're not under the law, we're under grace. Now, the reason I bring this up, and I'm glad we're going to look at this, there is teaching that has taken that you're not under the law, you're under grace to an extreme far side. To mean that I can live my life any way I choose because the grace of God will forgive me every single time. Paul's going to refute that pretty hard. Because what he's going to really tell us is, if you are actually immersed in Christ, and if you actually have faith in what he did for you and you were saved in Christ, you don't walk that way. Not that we don't make mistakes, but he's saying is that theology that's out there that I can do whatever I want and just come back to the altar once a week on Sunday and say a little prayer, I'm good to go. He's going to say that's not, that's not the case. Because that shows a whole different part of your heart. But... So I want to ask you this on closing. How can you and I live in a way that's pleasing to God, apart from rules and regulations, that's valid in the law? If we don't have any law, how can we live a life pleasing to God? Because Paul's, we don't have to, Paul says it's by grace. Yeah, that's a good one. Since we're under the law of grace, we're going to deal with that next time. I'm not even going to talk about it this time. Because I don't even want to give any of it away. Because the rest of chapter 6 is beautiful, powerful, really good stuff. But he's going he's to tell us, you can live a righteous life without the law. And remember, he's talking to people who are in Rome. Who's the capital, the Romans, who are the law. And they think the way to make a city run was how? You will follow rules or else. And Paul's telling these Christians... The way to live a holy, righteous life is without this law. And he's going to expand that. So, what I wanted, the point I wanted today on this chapter is I want you to understand what it means to be baptized into Christ. To be baptized into Christ means we are immersed in Christ. We are set free from sin. But understand, we are free indeed. So, if we have cycles of sin in our life or a sin that has never left us, truth is we just don't believe it. We just don't believe that we're set free. We work to you guys and talk. We just don't believe it. 
I want you to think about it and hold on to it like Paul tells you. When he speaks it to you, he says it is a fact. It is a reality. It is a truth. It's not a Disney wish upon a star. It is absolute truth that you are set free. And I want you to know because sometimes we choose sin, that's why there is grace. Because every single one of us in our life is going to choose the sin. Not because we're a slave to it, but because we will choose it because we want to. But that's where the grace of God comes in. And I'm so thankful for the grace of God. And uh, this kind of plays out, you can go on in there. This kind of plays out to uh, what we're seeing today. Well, think about it. What we're seeing today is all this evil and all this anger and violence paying for violence. Are they doing it because they, they can't control themselves or are they choosing to? We're talking about a world that's what? A slave to sin. Scripture tells us later in the later times, you can come on for a Scripture tells us in later times that uh, the world will take what is evil and view it as good. So there's many things we look at, but uh, just remember, just remember today, people, all the only thing I want you to get out of this message is when the Bible says you are free, you are free. It's not a question. Amen. You're free. Thank you, Jesus. Live that Amen. way. Paul said, walk it out. When you're faced with something, look at it. I am free from that. Instead of going, I've got to battle that. You're free. Let's pray. Father, we just, we just come so humbly before you. Father, we're so thankful to join together today and have your word open up to us, Lord. And, and I hope that the message comes across saying and sits on the hearts, Lord, that we are free because of what Jesus Christ did for us, that we are immersed, we are joined with him. If we are immersed and joined with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, then we are raised a new life and the slave is dead. Lord, I ask that reality, that reality of that rests in our heart, not just in our mind that we have the knowledge, but it rests in our heart that we have the faith and we walk it every day knowing that I am free. Not that it's a hope, but that it's a reality. Lord, we pray for our community. We pray for our country. We pray for the families and the men and women in law enforcement and the families and their families, Lord. We pray that your hand, while I know you have everything in your hand, Lord, we pray that your hands over this. And Lord, we ask for peace in the hearts and we ask for peace in our nation, Lord, if you will. Father, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.
and down.